0: Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is a major figure in this entire region. It's Steve Smith, and Steve Smith is president and CEO of Food City, and Food City is also, I think, a part of a company, we'll get this clarified, KVAT, which is short for Kentucky, Virginia, and Tennessee, with 150 stores what a busy man. Welcome to this conversation, Steve Smith.
1: Well, thank you, Teresa. It's, it's my pleasure to be here, and uh, I look forward to having a great discussion with you.
0: Well, we're going to have a great discussion because the first topic I'm going to bring up is got to be the nearest and dearest to your heart, despite all of this business you've got going on. I understand that you're a new granddaddy.
1: Well, I am. I am. Uh, as a matter of fact, she's four weeks old today. Uh, a young lady, Callie Reese Penny, and was born to my oldest daughter. Uh, and uh, it just delighted her mother, um, and myself, and my wife Debbie. Uh, it's just a special treat to have a, a new generation. Uh, she's already been to one of our our groundbreakings, so she's uh, she had her Team Food City shirt on, her little onesie. So. <laughs> We start them young, I guess, in in our business.
0: Well, we know that the origin of this was a family operation. Just give us the background on the family, how it started, and how many family I think I'm curious about are still involved in the operation as you've grown over the years. But the origins were what?
1: Well, actually, my, my dad grew up in Grundy, Virginia, where I grew up, up in the coal fields. And uh, my dad uh, grew up uh, during wartime. He attended the Naval Academy, graduated from the Naval Academy back in the, uh, went school there during World War II, graduated from there right after World War II, spent seven years active duty, went through Korea. And then when he got out, he'd been stationed in California. Uh, He'd seen a lot of new modern grocery stores and new things out there, being in San Diego. He came back to Grundy and... uh, Thought he had a job lined up uh, and didn't. It fell through. And uh, my grandmother sent him to the to the uh, local grocery store and he stood in line for about 30 minutes and he said, hey, I think I can do this better. And he took some of his memory bank and remembered what he'd seen in California and opened a little 8,000 square foot Piggly Wiggly store in Grundy back in 1955. That's how we got started as a grocer.
0: Are there still Piggly Wigglies or are they gone?
1: They are. They're a franchise operation. There's still pockets of Piggly Wiggly's in Alabama and uh, Wisconsin and the Midwest and so forth like that. That was part of the problem. There was a little bit of inconsistency with different owners had different standards. And, you know, in 1984, we had a chance to buy the stores and grow our company. And we wanted to change our name and get something that was was really more ours, not a franchise.
0: Did your dad stay in business until... I assume he's passed on by now?
1: He did. I I had the pleasure of working with my father for 27 years. I'm a second-generation grocer. It was just a wonderful experience to learn from him, to learn from his military experience, his business experience. He was actually an engineer by education, but he he learned the business part. But most important part he learned was the people part. And that's what I learned from him. Because if you're a grocer, it's a very people-intensive a business, whether it's your associates or your customers, and you want to treat them both with equal respect and kindness. Well, it's nice to hear that. How many employees do you have? We've got a little over 18,000 now.
0: Uh, <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I'm, I'm losing my breath here. 18,000 employees.
1: 18,000 18, teammates across our five-state footprint at this time.
0: Holy moly. I'm just breathless. That's such a large, such a large number. I want to jump right away to the, the things that you are known for, Steve Smith, and that Food City is known for. Your charitable work in the region. You talked about caring about employees and caring about the people, but you obviously see that in a bigger sense as in caring for the community. Just in recent, the few last week or two, I was at Barter. I was at Feeding Southwest Virginia. I'm at Emory and Henry College. Sometimes I go to Tennessee football games. Food City is everywhere. And you just most recently made, after I'd scheduled this interview with you, I didn't even know this at the time, four million dollars to Emory & Henry for a sports complex that they're working on out at Exit 26. Tell me about that charity thing. What drives you?
1: I think it really comes, Teresa, from growing up in a small town like Grundy. You know, I watched my dad. If there was an event going on in, in Buchanan County or Grundy, you know, he wanted his store to be part of it. He wanted his people to be part of it, to be able to give back to the community. And his whole philosophy and my philosophy today is if we can make our communities a better place to live, to work, and to raise your family, then that community is going to prosper and it's going to grow. And uh, we'll have a chance to sell more groceries to more people. And it's just the right thing to do. You know, it's no different than being tied to your church. It's being tied to your community. And we do the same thing with our, our teammates. We're tied to them too, because they own a little over uh, almost 11% of our company at no cost to them through a profit sharing plan. When we do good, it's not because of Steve Smith or, or or any other leaders in our company. It's because of the people in the stores that that really take care of our customers, that keep our product fresh and help us run our stores the right way. So. They deserve to have part of the rewards for that, just as our communities are important of where we live and where our people live. We'll get back to the bigger community, but it was a question I had wanted to
0: ask you, and I I don't know how to be delicate about it, but you just brought it up. You said that the workers own part of the company, and I had wanted to ask you, how are your workers paid and what kind of benefits do they get?
1: Well, you know, we obviously try and pay our people very competitively with, uh, you know, retail Competitors, uh, not just grocery, but other retail competitors. But beyond that, they've got great healthcare coverage that we supply for them, and they pay a portion of it. We pay the bulk of it. But they have a 401k that we have a three percent match that uh, we're very proud of. And then they have what's called their ESOP, their Employee Stock Ownership Plan, and that's uh, in place for both part-time and full-time people. And once you've been here a year and you're 21 years of age, you're eligible for that. And as our company makes a profit, we make a contribution into that ESOP plan. And we actually put stock in there. And we started that in 84 when we had 11 supermarkets. Today, as you mentioned, we've got 150 stores. And so it's grown incrementally. And a lot of our people have benefited from that, uh, just as our company has benefited from that growth as well. So when when we win, our employees win, and when our associates win or our employees win, the company wins. So it, it is truly a partnership, and we're tied together. And you don't
0: need me to say how wonderful that is and how rare that is, that that attitude is not pervasive, with huge corporations and really treating their employees that well, and especially providing health benefits.
1: We don't think of ourselves as a large corporation, even though we are. I mean, we're approaching almost $4 billion in sales, but we think of ourselves as still a hometown community-based entity. And I think if we continue to have that culture and act like that, uh, hopefully it helps propel us and differentiate us from some of the big box folks that we compete against and uh, helps people understand who we are.
0: Another thing I want to mention is that I notice when I'm in the Food City store in Abingdon, I see more minority employees than I do in lots of other places. And I wonder if that's a specific goal for you.
1: We do work hard on our diversity and equity. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of is we work a lot of folks that have some uh, either physical or, in some cases, mental disabilities, to, to make them part of our Food City team as well. And we work with some local agencies and explain what it takes to really serve the, the public, and they they help us find those people, and we're happy to to have them be part of our team. And I, I think the, the customers shop our stores appreciate that as well.
0: Well, we have just talked for the first 10 minutes about all the wonderful things that you've done and that you do. Of course, I got to bring up a little something just to make it interesting. And I'll exaggerate here just for effect. Okay. You kind of started a civil war in Abingdon not so long ago.
1: You know, I, I still don't know really the crux of that whole issue. You know, I guess communication is important in anything you do. And maybe the town and, and and maybe we didn't communicate with, with people as well as we should have, well, let me interrupt you here, because we need
0: to communicate what the issue
1: was. It had to do with the Meadows Shopping Center and the Meadows Project and the ball fields that we wanted so desperately to help the town have, because having lived in Abington for, you know, almost 40 years and raising my kids here, I knew that that we were woefully behind the, the other communities in, in, in our area uh, with sporting opportunities, and we needed a new store. to there was a piece of property called the Meadows, and there were 70 acres there, and and uh, we bought that, and we bought it with the intent to donate part of it to the town, build some ball fields, and then we would turn the rest of it into retail, which would help pay for the Meadows, because it creates property tax, it creates employment tax, it creates sales tax. It, it, I saw it as a win-win for everybody. Obviously, there were a few, I'll say folks in Abington that didn't see it that way. And we ended up, you know, disagreeing. Hopefully I tried to be disagreeable without, or disagree without being disagreeable. (laughs) I'm not sure the other side was always that way. But anyway, I think you can see the finished product today and say, hopefully it was well worth it. That's one of those things
0: where both sides are so entrenched in thinking that they're right. But I want to get a little bit more specific because you said you bought the property, but you donated land to the town and then what happened there you donated it with the intention of developing this park and were you going to help with the park i just don't remember those details
1: well what what we needed to do we needed to be able to make level ground and to do that we had to move a lot of dirt and we needed a place to put that dirt so what we did is we donated the town to abington uh the 40 acres and then we filled that into the appropriate level by removing some of the dirt from where our development was going to be. That was at our cost. So we donated the land, we moved the dirt, leveled their land out, turned it over to them, ready to build the the ball fields. That allowed us to have property that was ready to build a shopping center and a development for hotels, motels, and that was the win-win for both of them, both of us, the town, the citizens of the town and and our company. Well, I wasn't kidding about the Civil War thing. I mean, you
0: would drive through Abingdon and it was like play ball. That meant they supported, that people supported what you were doing and could see the what you're saying—the economic and social and community benefits of having a sports complex and a place where people can play ball—the other people said save Mary's Meadows, mm-hmm. and their viewpoint was that this was special property; it needed to be preserved. It was historical. It had um, a plantation there, graveyard there,
1: where slaves were buried. Which, which was not, which was not true. Oh, really? I, I can assure you that was not a true statement. There were a lot of things said. That unfortunately were exaggerations and downright falsehoods in some cases. So well,
0: I'll tell you, I am not known for keeping my mouth shut, but there were times during that period when I just wouldn't say what I thought to certain friends of mine. I mean, it was heated back then.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think probably everybody involved in it had a few uh sleepless nights and aggravation, but But again, sometimes you have to have a little disagreement to be able to make progress. And I think that's what's great about our country. People can disagree and are not disagreeable about it. At the end of the day, somebody will make a decision and that was made. We went forward and I kept every promise that I told them that we were going to make. We built a great development, created a lot of jobs, a lot of taxes. And if, if, if you ever go up to that ball field on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and watch the the dozens and dozens of kids playing ball up there and hear the joy, uh, whether it's soccer or whether it's softball or baseball, it's well worth it. And I think even the naysayers would agree to that.
0: And I would imagine that you would be proud of the economic benefit that it's providing.
1: I am. The Abington store is still one of our best top 10 stores in our company. You know, people said it's too big for Abington. And thank goodness we had it when COVID hit in in 2020 because it gave us more room to space people out and for people to feel more comfortable shopping. And, uh, you know, it slowed the development of the shopping center down a little bit because people weren't making quite the investments during the unknown. But, now it's it's uh, 95% full, and uh, it's well appreciated, I think. And how about those ball fields? Are they
0: bringing in people? Have they done anything regional, like tournaments and things there
1: yet? Absolutely. They're, they're busy almost every weekend. It's just phenomenal. I, I know I talked to some of the hotel owners and restaurant owners here, and they'll tell you that they're very happy that, The Jersey Mike's in in our shopping center maybe shouldn't say this, but, you know, I know the owner and he says it's his best Jersey Mike's in the whole Tri-Cities. And a lot of that's because of the ball fields. It's because of the people that come there to shop and, and have lunch with him and others in the shopping center.
0: Okay, so Steve Smith, president, CEO of Food City, 150 stores, much success, much good community work, great contributions to the economy. Can't you do something about the cost of groceries
1: well, I wish we could. And, and, and every day we, we we fret over that. We look for ways that we can leverage our buy power and our knowledge to help keep prices low. Uh, you know, you have seen some breaks in prices. You know, the egg prices were, were just ridiculous for, you know, months and months because of the avian flu, because of the grain situation between Russia and Ukraine. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that I know the average person probably doesn't understand, but you know the cost of fuel, and if you think about it, everything that's delivered to our warehouse or our stores comes on a, a tractor-trailer truck, practically. And there were a lot of reasons that you saw this in, inflation. There was a lot of money put into the uh, to the system, and people were shopping, they were buying, and uh, it, it just raised the prices. We are seeing some flattening out of that. Uh, We haven't seen prices drop as much as I'd like to see, although meat and produce are are pretty stable. It's the center of the story. You're still seeing packaged goods that are are staying high. And hopefully we'll see our suppliers start to deal on those items as the economy slows down a little bit. That's what the free enterprise system does when it slows down. People get more competitive with their pricing, and, and we can pass that on to the consumer.
0: Well, I realize that you, you're you not all powerful in that area, but boy, the cost of groceries really has put a burden on a lot of people. There's no
1: question, and I, I hear it every day, and I feel it every day, and I wish there was more we could do.
0: Well, let's return to the topic of the more that you do. The reason this interview came about is because one of my uh, graduates in the Mass Comm Department from Emory and Henry and I were having lunch. And she mentioned this new project that was underway that I hadn't known about at all. I guess I missed the news releases. But anyway, you are doing some, you're donating a building, I think, and establishing or help establish a workforce initiative in Abingdon that's going to help people get jobs and help with childcare and all kinds of things. Tell us about that.
1: Well, this really came about by our relationship with the United Way folks in and, and Travis Staten. Travis is a great leader of the United Way and they have a little different philosophy than a lot of United Ways do. They want to they want to work ahead. They want to start when, when people are young, when they're in school and try and solve some of the problems that can fester later if people don't know what they want to do, they don't get the right training, they don't get the right child care in uh, in education. And this whole project uh, came about because of the the, the empty Kmart and Travis's desire and our desire at Food City and some other businesses to have some child care, because we still can't hire enough people in our stores, in our distribution center here in Abington to really staff up the way we'd like to. And child care is the number one impediment that we hear from people of why they don't join the workforce. Sometimes it's men, sometimes it's women, but it's an impediment. And so this facility will have spots for 300 from infants, you know, up through their, their 12, 13 years old uh, for childcare. You know, we as a, a sponsor of that have, have got some of those. Other businesses, you know, hopefully will step up, we'll make some contributions to this project. You know, they'll get some of those contributed, you know, to, to their causes. But at the end of the day, it's also got a workforce development module in there that really makes up about half the building. So there'll be storefronts in there that teach young people when they come there, you know, what job careers uh, that they may be interested in, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, the local power company, whether it's, uh, you know, the police officers, uh, a food city storefront, there may be a low storefront or whatever and people can look at those different careers i'm sure the, the local community colleges and high schools will be quite supportive of this and we want young people to start saying this is something I'm interested in so they can they can start planning what you know what jobs they want
0: that's phenomenal I had done an interview not long ago about the crisis in child care around here but just to clarify did you all own the kmart building and you donated it
1: we did, we did, we did. We didn't completely donate it, but we sold it at a very attractive price to United Way. I know that the governor and the governor's staff and, and the Commonwealth is is much behind this project. I think that we'll see this project be on the cutting edge of workforce development and child care in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and that's something that I'm very proud of to have that in Southwest Virginia. I think it'll be a model for other parts of the state really to look at and to copy.
0: You know, I want to ask this question. It's a little bit personal, but hey, that's why we're here. You talked about, you know, your 150 stores, a multi-billion dollar business in a year. And so clearly you're a wealthy man. I wonder what that has meant to your lifestyle. You grew up in Grundy. Your dad was a grocer there. How is your life different because of this great expansion and great wealth in your family?
1: Well, you know, Teresa, this is going to sound funny for a, a, a CEO or a businessman to say, I don't come to work thinking about the money. I come to work thinking about trying to make our company better, how we can do things with technology to better serve our customers, to keep our product fresher, to keep our product more affordable. And that's what drives me. And I I love my people. I've got probably the best team that I've ever had in my 40-plus year career. And, you know, some of them are homegrown. Some of them we brought from the outside. That's what keeps me getting up early in the morning and staying a little bit later in the evening is to offer support to my people and to help them succeed. And the thing I love to see about growing our company is to see young men and women They've worked hard, and you know a lot of them worked their way through through high school or college. They've become store managers. They've become district managers, and then to see them get more opportunities because we grow our company. I, I don't live much different today than I did thirty or forty years ago. Don't you jump I on just, a
0: private jet and go to Europe,
1: or take your no, family? If I, if I if I go to Europe, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on a plane down at Tri Cities Airport and go. But, but, but we do have an airplane that would, and it's not for Steve Smith. It, it's for Steve's people so they can live in Abington or Bristol or the Tri Cities and get to Chattanooga and Huntsville, you know, the areas that we've got stores. And I, I got to give them a good quality of life being part of our company. It's a little easier if you're in a bigger metropolitan area than Abington, but there's such a great quality of life of living here in these beautiful mountains with the lakes. And all the you know, the low cost of living. And that's why we keep our headquarters here is because we love where we live. I go out and hire people. My chief operations officer was in Seattle and Arizona, and he came here and he loves it here. And my chief merchant came here from Pennsylvania. And those are just things that you know, you you don't tell those stories all the time, but it's it's important that you get the talent. To keep our company on the cutting edge.
0: Well, amen to living in the center of the universe right here in Abingdon, this area and the beauty and all that. How many family members are still involved in operation of Food City? And what's the future of Food City once you ever decide that you need to relax a little bit?
1: Well, I've, I've got two uh, third generation grocers that work for the company. I have a nephew uh, who I'm very proud of. He runs, runs our Uh, organization that acquires our private label product called JCS Sales. I've also got a daughter who is a district manager for us. She loves the operations side of the business. She lives in Chattanooga. Uh, She came up through our store management training. She actually worked in California for six years for the Hyatt Regency Organization. They recruited her out of business school, and uh, she got some great experience in the restaurant business and in the hospital business out there, met her, met her future husband there who grew up just outside of Jonesboro, Tennessee, Navy guy as well, and a pilot. They got married. She wanted to come back, work for a company. Now she's a district manager. So I'm proud to have a third generation. And in one of these days, I will slow down and I'll turn hopefully some things over to, to some of them and they can carry on a, a family tradition. Who
0: might that nephew be?
1: Uh, Drew Hembrick. I think he was one of your students at one time back years ago. Yes,
0: he was.
1: Well, so. I'm, I'm I'm proud of Drew. He does a great job for our company. And I'm I'm proud of Katie as well. So it, just as I'm proud of a lot of our teammates. They, 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 there's more expected out of them, I will tell you, than there is uh, anybody. Well, absolutely. Just, just this when I grew up. My dad expected a lot out of me.
0: Yeah. Well, you cracked that whip on Drew.
1: I will. I'll do it. I'll tell do him it. I I'll said so. Doctor Keller said so. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: how many more stores are we going to have? How many more Food City stores?
1: Well, we've got we've got four that are going to open before this year's out. Uh, two will be brand new stores that we're opening in Kimball, Tennessee, and um, Gadsden, Alabama. Two are replacement stores, and we're equally as proud of those. One in South Williamson, Kentucky, where my mentor lived for years and years. Uh, we just had to shut that store down, tear it down, rebuild it because it was it was old and needed it. And then in Clintwood, Virginia, in Dixon County, we're building a brand new 46,000 square foot store to replace a 31 32,000 square foot store. So we're investing again in our, our, our existing infrastructure.
0: Well, hearing about your personal stuff and your family is more interesting, but, I, but here is another question. What is it with Ace Hardware. You own Ace Hardware?
1: Well, we we do own the Kurtz Ace Hardware stores that you'll see in the Tri-Cities area and uh now down in Newport, Tennessee. And we found out about this opportunity uh, you know, through the ACE Hardware folks. And they were recruiting grocers to be interested in being ACE hardware operators. And we happened to have some people in our company that had some. Uh, big box uh, experience in that industry. We got fascinated by it because if you think about, you know, Food City, you know, we're successful because we differentiate ourselves from some of the big box retailers we compete with. And again, Ace is very similar. They're smaller stores. We give a lot of service in those stores just as we do in our Food City stores. And so many towns don't have a local hardware store in them anymore. They've just gone by the wayside, but it's very new. We're, we're not much more than a year old, uh, but we're up, up to seven stores right now. And probably uh, the end of the year or soon after we'll have about nine or 10.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. We're out of time, but I bet with 150 stores and more coming along, I'll bet you're always hiring and you might have something to say to people who might be looking for work.
1: We, we we always are looking for good people, uh, whether it's our distribution center, whether it's in our retail stores, whether it's in our you know corporate support center here in Abington, where we've got just so many good, talented people, whether it's information technology, accounting, uh, logistics, uh, you name it. We've got a lot of folks that are really good at what they do. And it's a fun environment to work in. Try not to make it all drudgery but make it a little bit of fun. And 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 we call it being part of the Food City family. Where do people apply? Well, you can go online is the easiest way. Go to foodcity.com and uh, you'll kind of walk walk through the, the employment piece, get your application in, and uh, it'll get shifted to the places uh, that you tell us are most convenient for you to work. Steve Smith, president,
0: CEO of Food City, a major philanthropist in our community and a major figure in our region, and thank you so much for giving your time to this conversation here on WEHC.
1: Well, thank you, Teresa. I enjoyed spending time with you, and hopefully your listeners enjoyed learning a little bit more about our company and our philosophy.
0: I'm absolutely sure they did, and my thanks to those listeners. If anyone missed this interview part of it, wants to hear it again, our podcast site, either at the WEHC website or just search W-E-H-C, This Conversation, and otherwise you can hear this program on the air Wednesdays at six and Sundays at two. Thank you once again, Steve Smith, and thanks again to the listeners. Thank you.